Hey, welcome back to Everyday Non-Ordinary, the podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Wiener, and today I'm sharing my conversation with Mary Sanders. Make sure to check out the show notes because Mary's full bio will be in there, and it's really impressive and beautiful, and Mary is really working at the intersection of social justice and psychedelics and sort of healing in general. Um, All of Mary's clinical practice as a social worker and therapist has focused on particularly Black, Indigenous, and people of color, uh, people from the queer community, veterans, immigrants, refugees, foster youth. Um, She's really committed to helping heal the trauma that these particular communities face, and she really generously shares some of her own story of healing in our conversation today. So I'm going to try to keep this short, but uh, I do just want to add a note, especially for those of you who might have found me in this podcast through my platform as an eating disorders therapist. Mary mentions in here the process of purging, which is something that we hear a lot in the psychedelic space. And as someone in recovery myself from eating an eating disorder, I remember feeling really sort of activated when I first heard this um, because purging has such a specific connotation in the eating disorder world and a particularly shameful connotation for many people. And I could do a whole separate talk about that and why it's you know not something really to be ashamed of and the purpose that it serves and all of that. But in this context, you know, purging has a really different meaning and it's this process of unearthing deeper emotional experiences or feelings that we maybe have been unable to access in other ways. And sometimes with psychedelics, this looks like purging as we think of um, with eating disorders. So that could be vomiting. There are other bodily functions that uh, also constitute purging in psychedelics. But it's it just comes from a very different place. And it's not... Um, I mean, I actually think there are a lot of parallels in ways in which it's this process of moving stuck energy through the body. And I think it's really important to look at purging and eating disorder recovery from this non-pathologized lens and really understand the function it was serving for the person using that symptom. But I just want to to share that because it might just activate or, you know, ring certain bells for people and just want to offer that so that you know about it ahead of time. So that's it for now. I'll get to the show and I'll check in after with how you can get in touch and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, Mary. Hi, good morning, Jenny. So wonderful to see you. I almost said good morning as well, but it's afternoon for me, but that's the the magic of the internet. Isn't it wonderful? I was just recently in a somatic experiencing training 
And there was one person from India that was an assistant and the other person from South Korea. I was like, well, this is really a blessing um, to be able to do this work online as well and get to connect with people from, you know, across the country like you and across the world. That's so true. For as much as it is lost, you know, in the virtual space, I think you're right that there's just as much that we gain. So maybe to start, I would love to just hear how you found your way to psychedelics or how psychedelics found you, Mm. wherever feels relevant for you to start that story. Yes, thank you. That's great. Great question. Um, So I've, uh, you know, I've always been pretty interested in altered states. So um, what that kind of looked like for me in college or rather not in college, what am I talking about? Um, I had it after college um, in my early 20s of exploring altered states, um, typically at music festivals, at um, just gatherings, and then later kind of an exploration in um, whether it was like Yosemite or Anza Borrego Springs and or, um, you know, dance parties and art and Burning Man. And so um, I've always had, you know, a, a, a desire to experience the world and uh, with in these expanded states. Um, and it was about a few years ago, I guess maybe almost like four years ago, where I um, one of my relationships ended and, and it was kind of after a series of other relationships ending. And I just felt so um, hopeless and powerless and, um, and really wanted to move inward um, to explore like the traumas that were showing up for me um, and really a lot of attachment wounds And so a dear friend of mine at the time um, was sharing about her work in ayahuasca. And I had just moved to the Bay um, and it was, you know, uh, accessible here. And uh, a lot of people um, had different circles and were working um, with ayahuasca. And so, um, so yeah, I guess you could say that kind of found me in the sense that, um, this medicine, I hadn't, maybe I'd heard about it, but didn't have that level of accessibility um, in the past. And so I really wanted um, to work with um, ayahuasca and, and at the time to really uh, let go of these defense mechanisms that were highly imprinted in my system and get to the source of the trauma and the source of the pain so that I could navigate relationships and just and, and really just navigate the world um, in a different way, in a way that reflected my, my true self, my, um, you know, I, I think kind of the, the true spirit of, of what is inside of me and what had to be blocked or quieted or transformed for the, for the purpose of being safe. And so um, I had my first ayahuasca experience, uh, like I said, almost four years ago. And it was a a profound experience um, because I really had to learn to surrender. And that was the teaching of of, 
that particular session um, to let go of control, to um, to really just breathe <laughs> and be in my body, um, which we all know as um, trauma survivors, there's so much um, detachment and sometimes dissociation. Um, and for myself, a lot of freezing. Um, and so um, ayahuasca and then, of course, other psychedelics um, that I've worked with have really helped me uh, really connect to the somatic experience in my body. So any pain or, or difficult emotion cannot be ignored, right? In these altered states, they're very present. And, and so I could take the time um, or in those sessions, really spend the time to explore those difficult emotions or maybe the pain that was showing up, which still actually shows up and then continue to work with uh, kind of in my colon. Um, and so really um, being with it for this extended period of time um, while, while being surrounded and supported by um, the facilitators, by the guardians, right? The folks who support. And, and actually what I learned too in that first ayahuasca session is that I could call for help and receive it, right? I could ask, you know, I could ask to be removed. I could ask for a hug. I can ask for water, whatever it might be. And that there was a person that would show up with unconditional love and care and, and, and care for me. And maybe it's just a few minutes, but even the power of that corrective experience um, that I didn't have, right, in the past, the, um, that kind of access to care. Um, I grew up in a, a home that um, where I experienced a lot of family violence, but also just low resource, some highly stressed parents, and also some fa family violence. And so, you know, when you have that kind of stress as a child, you learn to quiet your voice and to make yourself small and to internalize the burdens, um, at least in my experience, um, to internalize the burdens um, so that I don't add additional stress to the system. And so um, part of working with Aya is to right, name those needs and to get those needs met instead of um, suffering in silence. And, and that's you know, what I not only did I experience as a child, but continue that pattern as an adult, right? And, and in my relationships, right? Keeping myself small, appeasing, um, avoiding conflict or any distress. Um, and so in this practice of Aya, of really showing up to, to those parts that didn't get tended to um, and showing up, whether if I'm working with mushrooms, grieving that small child um, that didn't, um, you know, that did that, that hid <laughs> while, while they were sad or upset or scared and really feeling what, what that, what that was like and really acknowledging. And I think sometimes we can do that in, in therapy, um, especially if we're working with a somatic therapist. Um, but, but often what happens is we can get caught up sometimes in the intellect or the cognitive. And so, 
So I felt that, you know, working with these medicines, I can just kind of focus um, in the body. And then, you know, I could go to my therapist and we can kind of further explore um, right, and do some meaning making over time. And so I found that as a really beautiful marriage of having these plants, um, these psychedelics to be my, you know, um, teachers and, and take the teachings and work with my therapist and slowly integrate um, the teachings that I've received in those in those sessions. Um, and then, you know, take it another step further. Well, what do I do now that I've received these gifts? How do I give them back to the community or to the land um, or to my family? Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I've never heard anyone talk about the relational aspect of their psychedelic use. You know, so often we hear about the medicine itself and the messages, the visuals, but this relational piece of in that setting, being more able to ask for help, receive help, take up space, be seen, be held, that's so real and such an important part of healing. And yeah, just thank you for that. I've never really yeah, heard someone yeah, name it. It's, it's, really, it's really powerful, right? Um, just for a person to be able to witness you, um, especially with Aya, right? You're purging uh, in a bucket. Uh, you're, you know, um, blowing your nose, um, your body may be experiencing these involuntary movements. Um, sometimes when I'm feeling discomfort, I'm pacing. Um, and it's really letting go of, um, and, and my experience of, of um, this like performance that we might experience in the, our day-to-day and just letting the um, the medicine <laughs> teach us to just be and, and to move that, um, that discomfort or that energy that's been stuck in our body or that pain that's been stuck in our body. And at the same time, um, accept and receive support. And we all heal from relation from a relational perspective, right? We are social beings. And so for someone to just show up, right, on our side when we're super messy and we're not cute, <laughs> what a beautiful message that you are loved and you are cared for and you are valued at, because you are a human being, right? You are a being and therefore you are inherently valuable. And so, um, right, so much of our, you know, implicit teachings is that when we grieve or when we're suffering, we kind of need to hide it or it's like private. And, and from at least this, um, I would say, you know, more uh, Western way of being in the world, um, where you see other cultures. And of course, in their country, we have uh, diverse cultures, right? Um, 
where at funerals or something happens, people are expressing and they're crying and they're weeping and they're yelling and right. And it's totally, it's accepted and embraced and, and honored and valued. And so um, it's so powerful for us to just to express ourselves and not be called crazy, right? <laughs> or dramatic or over the top, which is a lot of messaging that we receive, right? And that is, you know, probably from our Puritan, um, very, right? Like you go to, you, you're supposed to be put together. You're not supposed to express this, like, uh, um, these wide range of emotions that are, are part of just being human. And so, um, and so one of the teachings I've received from um, a person I work with, Malka, is, you know, and Tony Moss is that, uh, is that part, the, the first step is really to be asking for help and receive it. And then once you um, know that the help is there and you're, and you have the skills, then you go inward for the help that you need. And so, but we need it to be modeled for us. We need to know that the help is there at any point and we need to feel safe because if we are going to fully expose ourselves, right, (laughs) and be right on all fours purging, we need to know that at any point there is someone safe that I can count on. Right. And if we are in a place at any time when we don't feel safe, then I will have to keep it together. I will stay under control. I will do whatever I need to do so that um, um, I feel like I'm ready for the next step. Right. So I can be on my toes. And so, you know, having that strong containment um, and strong facilitation and support are so key in this work. Um, and of course, like if we're doing work with mushrooms and we're working with a friend or another practitioner, we want to make sure that that relationship has, uh, there is a mutual respect and mutual trust. Um, and that person, uh, I can rely on them if I'm falling apart, right. I'm, I'm going to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. I know for me, when I'm sitting for someone, it's as much an emotional, energetic experience for me. And I think you're right. We have to know that the person can handle that and handle themselves in that space and therefore be there for us and hold us as needed. Absolutely. And so, you know, the, the, the um, practitioner in that moment, right? They have to make sure um, they've had plenty to eat, plenty to rest, have their own protections, right? Own boundaries, um, because the right there's so much being um, moved energetically, and so um, so you're right. It's it's so important, um, and 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 the the you know the the more trained and um, the practitioner is, or, you know, better, the more understanding of the medicine, then, um, right, we can create a bigger container in the sense there's a lot of, of, um, 
you know, a lot more movement that can happen because naturally, right, as as clinicians, sometimes we interrupt and do things because we're anxious. <laughs> and I know I've done that before. Yes. And um, and we're trying to manage our own anxiety. And really what it is, is it, it just takes training. Just like if we think about our first client that we had many of years ago and where we are now, it does just take training and experience and um and what I'm hoping over time is that, you know, there's more folks who uh, that have been doing this work underground can teach us, right, and this work and um, allow for observations and stuff like that. Because once we go into a private room, you know, it's just us. And so there's so there's so much wisdom to be gathered from not only the underground community, but from our indigenous um, community members that who've been protecting and holding this mes- medicine, um, you know, for thousands of years. And so, um, so yes, it's, it, it's as much as important as the, the space holder, the practitioner, the guide to be well resourced and prepared. I'm also really grateful for the way you described, you know, as a trauma survivor, how this practice supported you. Because I think for some people, hearing about medicines like Aya, which are known to be so brutal to use, it can feel really scary to think about willingly entering into a space like that and possibly facing that trauma, that pain. And it can be hard to describe how it can actually really support that healing process. So I'm really, I really appreciate that. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's a powerful medicine, and I I often tell folks is that, you know, just listen to your heart, right? If the medicine, if if this is a medicine for you, it will be clear, and you will be called to it. And if there's a different medicine like mushrooms and in our training, ketamine, um, then that also will be very clear. And so these are only offerings. These are gifts. Um, and many of them are gifts from the land. And, and so it's really um, okay <laughs> not, to, not to venture into one direction or the other. And it's also okay to wait and to you know, take our time in exploring these medicines. Um, I think, you know, anything that sometimes as we see, like is more mainstream, it has, it has um, it, positives because it, it, you know, from, from a harm reduction standpoint um, and a cultural standpoint for me, it's like really let's open our minds that it's okay for us to experience life in altered ways it's okay um, for people to do whether it's considered, uh, you know, um, these psychedelics as a drug for fun or for healing. It's all okay, and um, and so if we if if this helps, you know, transform the way that we interact with drugs, I think we could have it could be a powerful change, especially for our brown and black communities um, that have been completely stripped of um, our communities, in our communities. And so I think that um, I'm really hoping that that will, you know, these practices will um, motivate others to 
make the changes we need to be more in harmony in harmony with each other and um and so um so just kind of bringing it back is that you know uh there you know these these medicines aren't going to be for everyone and they're not they're not going to um just uh resolve right the trauma the trauma is an ongoing uh a kind of an ongoing exploration and and the work is really right the long-term work is in the integration right? we can have these beautiful insights and these really intense somatic experiences but what do we do with them and how do we continue to explore them and to acknowledge them um and and um change or you know kind of um, navigate our world a little bit different over time or change just, you know, subtle changes over time. I'd love to talk a little more about what that looked like for you or has looked like for you. Mm -hmm. I know you mentioned having these embodied experiences and taking it back to your therapist and making meaning out of it. But yeah, I would just love to hear a little more about what that meant integration yeah yeah so yes integration right so so important in this process and you know if we think of um anything um you know we think of our past days of living and and tribes and and having right this closeness within our community having um right being in a an environment of different generations and having our grandparents or great-grandparents like sharing wisdom and knowledge and kind of having that constant flow of information and so we just don't we don't have that right we just don't and, and some families do of course but many of us don't right we kind of live in our individual apartments um and so really for me integration has been around how not only to work with my therapist on these very specific or often like these themes, whether they're attachment wounds or um, um, different traumatic events, but also going back to the community and, um, and, and cultivating gatherings. And so for me, integration not only has been about um working internally, but also moving that, um, those insights and, um, and what the healing that I've experienced externally out into the community. Um, and so some of that may look for me is like hosting, um, people of color tea gatherings or, um, with my medicine circle coming together and sharing meals and continuing the conversation of, what we're doing in our, in our lives, um, celebrating, excuse me, celebrating our successes, acknowledging our challenges. And so I think it's so important as, especially, you know, we're, if we're doing medicine in groups is to continue those conversations and continue to nurture and cultivate those relationships. And so that, um, it's not, these are not isolated experiences, but rather we're watching ourselves grow and we are supporting each other in this process um, by coming together and sharing food or 
sending text messages here and there, our invitations to go hiking. And so that's like been a really important piece of my, of my integration. Um, and that is often an off a way to, to practice sacred reciprocity. So as much as the medicine is giving me, I want to give back and, and, and share those gifts for others. And so that, that, that's kind of how I, I feel like I can keep the cycle going. And then, um, for myself, like I mentioned, uh, you know, a lot of experiences I have are really in the body. And so some of my, um, my integration has been um, getting massage or doing um, getting Reiki um, to just kind of see, kind of help move some of that energy. Um, I recently did ayahuasca and I was kind of moving my ear around and I remember, oh yeah, I get this pressure under my eyes around my forehead and into my jaw and and every time I do Aya it shows up and I'm always like I'm going to schedule an appointment I'm going to do this I'm going to do that and I years haven't done it and this time I was like okay we're not waiting any time like I saw it I kind of um put on Facebook like hey looking for a cranial sacral therapist (laughs) to help like just help reduce some of that pressure but you know, with the Aya, like it really shows up in the body and also, you know, with the mushrooms as well, like where are these pains? And, and so thankfully at this point in my life, I have the resources, right. To get some massage, um, and, um, and, and let someone else kind of check in with my body to see where there might be some stuff still stored in there. Um, like I mentioned, um, I, const- I often have a lot of pain in my abdominal, and um, I recently was diagnosed with a, a mild Crohn's disease, and so that might be where that pain is coming from, but it's still there. So I'm like, there's still something unprocessed there mm. that I'm going to have to continue to explore. And so, right, it's so important for us to continue to check in what is going on with the body because it's it's kind of speak to us, right? <laughs> it's like, hey, pay attention to me. And so, so often, and that's speaking to us all day, and we override it, right? And we'll have the next phone call, the next project to do. Mm-hmm. And so, really, like for us, it's like, hey, let's slow down, let's take into that message. And we don't have to do it all at once, but we can kind of slowly chip away at it. Um, and and so, um, yeah, so in, another area for me is um, I have a lot of um, blocks in my throat. And so I'm like, okay, I've been trying to like hum more and sing more. And now I'm like, okay, it's time to get like a a vocal person to help kind of sing and, and, and move those blocks that I have around um, taking up space or even being seen or heard. <laughs> so, um, and lots of like teasing that I experienced from my, from my siblings. And so, so just kind of this offering to like move inwards and notice and, and um, maybe jot it down and sometimes maybe it's just even um, journaling what we're experiencing, or sometimes it might be that we express it through dance and we just let the body lead us and take charge. And that's actually, I think, my primary medicine is dance. And so, 
So, you know, I think, you know, with integration, there's, there's so many ways to explore it. And we really just kind of need to check in with ourselves at any moment and think, well, what is, what is the body calling for? Like, what is it, is it needing? Um, and, and how can, you know, and what is accessible to me? Um, and knowing that this is a, it's a lifelong process. And so, you know, we kind of just do this, we take the steps that we can. And, and, and even if we did all the things, right, <laughs> that's not how our body heals, right? It needs time. Um, it needs like, we need to, right, explore these uh, repeatedly, right, to create these new pathways and, and um, just let our body know over time, hey, you can rest, like we don't have to be in these different states that our body naturally doesn't want to be in. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, so I I think that's, you know, some main themes that I've been exploring and and knowing that I'm just learning as I go as well. I love that you said singing. That's been a big part of my integration recently, Mm, actually. Okay, you can share. You know, I'm not a singer in any formal way, but... Um, after some big medicine work recently, I just, I was just singing in the car one day and sort of unearthed something in myself. And I was in tears and I tapped into some really significant grief that I've still been trying to work my way through. And I just have returned to that, mostly in the car. I, you know, live in the city with neighbors and, mm-hmm. um, but. I have like my playlist of songs that I can sing along to and just it's sort of what I what I go to when I know that I need to keep working through that. So I'm really I'm so that's excited really, to hear you. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Yeah. And there's been some medicines I worked with that I just can start singing and that um um help me be really playful and and, uh, and I'm not, right, I'm not, like, thinking about what I sound like or who's around. And so even that piece of that practice is a moment to show me that it's it's okay, right? It's okay if it also sounds terrible. Um, but, you know, that, that little fear in the, the, the background definitely was like, that I'm going to be made fun of. I'm going to be the butt of all these jokes and I don't want any attention, you know? And so, um, so I, am curious and I also feel like if I'm going to continue to explore this work, um, uh, one of my, my voice may, may be needed. <laughs> so there's also that motivation too. Uh, yes. sometimes, yeah, sometimes the external motivation helps as well. Right. That's true. But even at, you know, I think in some sense too, right. Just finding my voice in multiple ways, um, finding it yeah. in my life, in my relationships and, mm-hmm in the car singing. Absolutely. <laughs> and and what I'm hearing from you is like the range of your voice. Like, mm-hmm. what is it like when I can just go, just allow it to be fully expressed and mm-hmm. you know what that feels like. And that that's really, really cool. Yeah. This has been on my head for a few years now and in, in the many long checklists. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <about> integration. <laughs> right. Like, 
I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely getting there. It's, it's, you know, of course this is a journey. So, um, so it's happening. That's so great. And I heard too, you know, in you describing in particular, right, the communities with other people of color working with medicines or not even just in, you know, in your communities, sort of the continuation of asking for help too mm-hmm. and and reaching out to various practitioners and right just literally that act of asking for a recommendation or scheduling an appointment or mm-hmm. inviting people over and god there's so much in that act of asking mhm yeah yeah and not, and, and asking and receiving mm. Um, there's such a big piece for me as someone that's worked with scarcity for so long of like, it's okay to spend a hundred dollars or $150 for, you know, massage because that's actually my body needs it. Mm-hmm. And whereas before that would be a, um, it's not a necessity. It's, you know, that is a treat, (laughs) you know, that's every blue moon type thing. And being like, actually, it really needs to be worked on um, because there's so much discharge energy that's stuck in there. And so, so there's the asking and asking for help and then the allowing ourselves to receive the help receive the support from our friends um and kind of like i uh, kind of mentioned some of my own journey around um experienced crohn's disease and also um, i have arthritis called acnolosing spondylitis is also receiving from my friends and asking help when i'm sick and having them bring food and other sources which is still actually um a pretty significant challenge for me um but i you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning, right. Just like I've learned Aya, that there are people that want to help me and there are people that are going to show up and I'm not going to be disappointed or feel like I have to, that I'm going to be a burden. And so, um, right. We have these little experiences, but then they repeat themselves and then we can use them right outside of the medicine session, but also when we've had these deep experiences in our community around healing are right. It's like, I think um, Phil Wolfson mentioned like the, the bonding is accelerated, right? We've seen each other in our most vulnerable states and we like each other, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, I've seen your, your scariest, most vulnerable state, and that's okay. Like, mm-hmm. you're, you are welcomed and invited, and I, I hope, you know, that, that um, we get to hang out. Not that, like, I'm, you know, in my experience, oh, I've taken too much space. I'm a burden, um, you know. I, so, so changing, right, um, changing my own narrative of asking for help, like you're, you're saying, and then accepting and receiving it and just letting myself receive. Yeah. Um, and then I'll, I'll give, continue to give, but something that shows up for me and my health now is that, oh, I can't, I can't do the hard work if I'm under-resourced, and which I experienced most recently with Aya. It's like, 
if I'm, my body is struggling, then I, I'm only trying to I, restore whatever is happening. I can't do any extra. So um, it's so important that we continue to take care of ourselves so that we can right, support each other in their process and support each other in you know, the therapy room and all, you know, all the, the places that uh, we share our, our gifts. Mm-hmm. I know this comes up so often for people of this fear of being a burden and particularly people whose life experiences have made them, you know, adapt by making themselves small. And, Mm -hmm. but I know for me, when someone asks me for help or lets me hold and support them, it reinforces for me that it's okay to do the same. Yeah. And not in that, not in the sense of like, okay, they owe me one, but just in, it deepens the relationship. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. It deepens the relationship. And, and like you said, this modeling that we all, we all were interdependent beings. We all need each other for our own survival, but also to really thrive in the world. And so, um, yeah, so it, it's been definitely a journey around how to ask for help, but also be clear of what kind of help that we need. And um, and so uh, that's something that I'm going to be continuing to, to work on and to explore. And um, yeah, I love helping people. <laughs> you know, I don't, I'll go to someone's house and wash their dishes if they needed it. Like I have no problem cleaning <laughs> someone's house. So it's just like, yeah, then be like, okay, Mary, like, will you accept somebody else's help? And, um, and that, that's a, that's a big learning curve for me. So I'm in that process. What have you noticed has changed or unfolded as you've engaged in that process and started receiving help? Ah, let's see. So it's still, still pretty new. Okay. Um, but I, I think, What's very clear, like you said, is that people do want to help. And uh, and people want to be part of our lives or my life, whether it's, you know, fun and exciting or really challenging and hard. And so um, something that... Um, I've learned over the years is that the need to be very clear in my communication, um, because one of my tools of adapting um, is to look collected, is to be collected. (laughs) And so it appears outwardly that everything is all good. I got this. And so, so necessary for me to like, just even name like, oh, I'm really you know, going through this journey with my body and um, learning what it means to have chronic illness and uh, and then talking to my other friends with chronic illness and be like, oh, we're now having this informal, informal like support group, right? Um, and so I'm no longer alone, right? And again, I no longer need to suffer in silence, um, which is like a really powerful transition for me that it's not, you know, it's, it is part of right, our human condition, but also like 
all of our other friends <laughs> are struggling too at one point or another. And so, um, and, and I'm no different. Um, and I think I've always like, I have a very big family and so I've lived near them. So it's kind of like, I've been spoiled just be like, Hey, like brother, you know, help me with this or help me with that. And then moving to the Bay and being like, Oh, now my friendships have to be like family. Like uh, they need to know who my doctors are. They need to know, um, you know, how to help me. So, so that's what I'm kind of working through now. And of course that happened as a consequence of being so vulnerable and very like ill <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and like just trying to keep going where like the body's like, actually, you, you can't, um, you're kind of wonky and you need to just lay down. So. Hmm. And when in this process, did you also start your path to becoming a therapist and was that, had that already begun or? Yeah. So in terms of like psychedelic work. Yeah. So, um, I, um, when I was living in San Diego, I um, worked in um, an area called El Cajon, which was the East area of San Diego County, which predominantly is a working white class community. And um, more recently um, when I was there, there was a pretty strong Iraqi community, um, um, immigrant community in the nineties, um, that was established. And um, I worked at the community clinic in Al Cajon. Um, and while I was there, there was a large number of folks that came from Syria as refugees. And so I was working with um, Syrian refugees and Iraqi uh, refugees and immigrants. And so um, I was working with a lot of war trauma so almost two years of um, listening to, uh, you know, folks who just lived through so many wars and had, you know, continued to live in, family members live in war in Syria. And um, I realized there had the limitations of talk therapy. Um, some of my folks had um, left their country many years ago. And their flashbacks were so severe that, you know, they were still there mm-hmm. and, um, and also had gone through, you know, had, had consistent therapy. And so it was very clear to me that talk therapy was just too very limiting. And, um, and although like there was a lot to be gained through these connections and we, you know, hug each other at the end of our sessions and, um, you know, real, real strong connection there. I just knew that, am I going to make a long-term impact? I just don't know. Um, especially in a community clinic where I was seeing people like once every other week. Right. Um, and the, the uh, infrastructure really wasn't there for someone that, maybe their, their impairments weren't significant for outpatient treatment or something a little more extensive outside of uh, typical therapy. And so I remember when I moved to the Bay, I was listening to an NPR podcast of this psychiatrist that was working with MDMA. And she was 
just sharing how folks could explore these traumatic events without reliving the somatic experience. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to have this, these skills, um, these tools for those folks that really needed it? And I could only imagine, I had no idea of what war trauma was like. And I did, still don't, right? I have some somatic experiences of what that, that might be like. Um, but I knew from the secondary trauma that I experienced that there needed to be stronger and more powerful tools for these folks. And, you know, for, for many of folks that experience such extensive and persistent trauma, And so I became more curious about MDMA and I had just moved to the Bay. And so I learned about um, CIS, the California Institute of Integral Studies and their therapy center for therapy, um, psychedelic therapies and research program. So I I enrolled in that program and I also was curious of like, well, how many people of color, how many black folks are, are going to be there, you know? So, um, which was only me and two others, so very few mm-hmm. at the time in 2019. And so um, I knew not only are there folks from war trauma, but continuous PTSD from living, um, you know, in these systems of oppression, experiencing community violence, you know, um, under-resourced um, um, communities. Um, or I've, I've read recently, like, commu- you know, instead of under-resourced, like communities excluded um, mm. the resources. Mm-hmm. And so um, I wanted to be part of the movement um, to be able to provide these medicines to people like me, um, people of color, um, or people with my marginal identities. Um, and so, um, like you, right. I'm, I'm definitely in, in the training, um, and learning and, uh, part of working in the ayahuasca, um, circle that I'm in, which is a, a black medicine circle is this learning from my peers, observing and learning from my teachers of what that looks like in a black space. And of course, this is a very small, right, number of people, but the research, right, and the information that's shared in the more academia environments really reflect white, middle-class, well-educated people. So, you know, it doesn't really apply to the folks I'm curious about, um, and so I'm, I'm hoping that, right, by doing my own work and then working with my peers and then working with the teachers that hold the space that I'll continue to learn and understand these medicines um, and, you know, created some foundational work at CIS, at Ketamine Training Center, um, through MAPS and MDMA, uh, but also really the learned experience and then my own work of diving deeper into transgenerational trauma and really understanding um, my, my, my dad's trauma, my mom's trauma, trying to connect um, in different ways of, of Black history um, so that I, I can show up as a you know, not only a representation of my family system and where my family grew up, but really have a better, strong, broader understanding of, of the 
different ways um, that we've experienced trauma in this country. It's so important and so important to have providers of color and trainers of color. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm hoping that over time, as you know, more people get trained, that there will be, um, and MAPS um, uh, did do a Communities of Color training a couple years ago. Um, and so it definitely is, is the beginning. Um, but I would say maybe that's, you know, 30 to 40 people. And, <laughs> and so it's like, oh, how do we accelerate that, right? Um, so that uh, people, part of right being, having being liberated and free is having options, not having to just be stuck with this, this one practitioner uh, because it's the only one trained in the community or the only one with covered by the insurance. And so, um, so often people ask like, what should I, you know, what should I do? How can I support black folks? And it's like, well, pay them mm-hmm. <laughs> to get trained, like, you know, help like, you know, help build the community by financially supporting someone in a training or um, whatever opportunity that are available. And I think um, that's one of kind of my intentions of being part of the People of Color Psychedelic Collective is being able to um, amplify and support people in the community that are already doing this work um, that maybe not have, maybe they are at CIS or, or other trainings, but aren't, you know, maybe have the, may, may have the training, the PhDs, all that stuff, or but maybe have lots of lived experience and been doing this work for a long time and we can all benefit from their teachings. And so um, there's that piece, but also holding conferences and workshops that reflect the needs of the community um and and i hope to maybe hopefully one day being able to financially support people or clinics in their um and their ability to provide services so um we're we're just barely ex- you know kind of expanding our team and kind of slow down during covid but i think more importantly is um uh kind of slowly uh, building so that we can move with a lot of intention and really provide the supports that are needed and filling um, the gaps are really just oftentimes I'm like, I just, I'm not trying to fix systems. I actually just want to build our own. Like, we can mm. do this. So we have, we have the knowledge and skills and training and, and it's just really about building it. And um, it's a full possibility for us. Mm-hmm. And you shared a couple of ways that people can support providers of color in particular or aspiring, you know, people in this space, but how can people support you or connect with you and your work? Yeah. So I, um, like I said, I'm part of the people of color psychedelic collective. So you can find me on the website there. And then I have a small private practice called empath center in Oakland. And so, um, you can look up the website. Um, I'm also on psychology today at Mary Sanders. Um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Um, and so, but mostly, you know, um, as like I said, I'm, I'm mostly in, in training mode. Um, I um, am still building out time in my schedule to do more psychedelic work is which my hope is. 
um, but also really thinking about how the people of color psychedelic collective, how we can be of support and be um, part of this movement so that um, it's accessible for everyone. Um, and, and we can also um, normalize um, psychedelic use or um, substance use that is part of being um, a human <laughs> is exploring expanded states. So I think folks can find me there. Great. Thank you. And I will include links to anything in the show notes that you'd like. Um, and I just, I'm so grateful for you sharing your story and your wisdom today and for being a part of my learning and healing. And thank you. Thank you, Jenny. It's been a great conversation. And uh, I think sometimes these, these kind of um, talks help me reflect more of my journey and, and uh, really highlights you know, the changes that I've experienced over time. So I, I appreciate sharing this space with you and having this time together. So that's the show. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Mary Sanders. I could have talked to Mary for hours. I loved our conversation so much and felt so energized and inspired after speaking with her. I hope you did too. Make sure to head to the show notes for Mary's full bio and ways you can get in touch with her or support her work through her private practice and the People of Color Psychedelic Collective. You can find in there all the links to get in touch with me too. I am on social media. The podcast is on social media, so make sure to follow so that you know about new episodes. Um, but I'm also trying to be a little more active through my newsletter um, I, or I've been talking about that and I'm finally just getting it going. So make sure to sign up. You haven't missed much yet. And that's a great way to hear about upcoming offerings in my practice and my work and to hear a little bit more from me about what I'm thinking about and interested in these days. So head to the show notes, find me there and I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.